Being with your changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by KubeCon Cloud Native Con, and you are invited to attend this flagship conference from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. It's happening March 30th through April 2nd next year, 2020 in Amsterdam. This conference gathers the adopters and technologists from leading open source and cloud native communities. Use the code K-C-E-U-G-O-T-I-M-E. Again, K-C-E-U-G-O-T-I-M-E. That's KC for KubeCon, EU for Europe, and GoTime for GoTime. Check the show notes for our special link to register and a link to the Convention Boss letter. Again, check the show notes for a special link to learn more and register. Welcome to GoTime, a podcast featuring a diverse panel and special guests discussing cloud infrastructure, distributed systems, microservices, Kubernetes, Docker, oh, and also Go. We record live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Join the community of Slack with us in real time during the show in the GoTime FM channel and go for Slack. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTime FM. Listen live at changelaw.com slash live or subscribe at changelaw.com slash GoTime. And now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Go Time, the show where a diverse panel and special guests discuss all things Go. My name is Johnny Borsico, and joining me today are Matt Ryer and John Calhoun, and our special guest, Ramya Rao, to talk about the tool that developers are most intimately familiar with, their editors. How is everybody doing today? Hello. I'm very excited for the, today's show. <laughs> You're interested in uh, starting uh, wars, maybe? No, no. no, we're not going to do that. There will be no such things on, on the show today. Well, it's an interesting place to start, uh, maybe, because the people are very opinionated, aren't they, about their editors, and they get very tied to them emotionally, I think, don't they? Mm-hmm. All the way since, I mean, I think it's happened since we had editors. And today, people still use Vim and Emacs, they for go or i hear it all the time so yeah people love it and it makes sense because you spend so much of your time with this application and even though it's, mm-hmm. you, it's basically a text editor it's hot i can see whoa 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 just a text <laughs> ed- wait hang on hang on before we yeah. get into that yeah. all right let us allow our special guest to say hi hi ramya it's good to have you back on the show how are you doing hello it's good to be back i'm doing great and very interested to hear what Matt had to say. <laughs> I was just trying I was, to I was, I, break the ice. I just yeah, sound like, uh-huh. like the guy. Yeah, the minute he said, I'm so excited for the show. And I'm like, well, don't you have to say that like for every episode? Because, you know, <laughs> you're here. Oh, but this show. Mm, I, I mean, know. the thing is, he doesn't have to say it for every episode because he can just not be on the episode. I can just say oh, whatever right. I like. Got it. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, John, how have you been? Good, good. I'm excited about this one, too. I think editors are just something that, I don't know, it, it, it shapes how you work on stuff so much that it's fun to talk about and explain, you know, how you use them. Indeed, indeed. Hang on. So John can just say the same thing I said and gets away nope. with it. Um, That's almost verbatim what I said. <laughs> nope. <laughs> 
<laughs> kind of like Vim and Emacs, you know, you know, you know, Vim's better, but you still need a lot. Emacs says, hey, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Let's not start this. Let's not start this. All right. So Ramya, we had you on the show previously to talk about Go support within VS Code. And in that episode, I'm blanking on the actual episode number, but I'm sure if our listeners can find it. In that episode, we talked a little bit about sort of the history of Go support inside of the VS Code, you know, the plugin, the development um, process, you know, how you sort of uh, manage sort of the organization and open source contributions around that stuff. That's all well and good, and we don't want to rehash that today. But what I would like to know, okay, is what have you been up to since then? Are you still doing anything editor related or you know go related at microsoft yeah sure i think it's been what like two or three two years since that episode i guess it was in 2017 and yes like uh, for almost two years or one one and a half years of after that episode i have been very much heavily involved in the go support and in the go plugin uh, it's been a great one or two years after that. But, you know, life happens, things change. Mm-hmm. So recently at Microsoft, I moved out uh, from the VS Code team. Mm-hmm. So the amount of time that I was spending on the Go extension has definitely changed. But my interest and passion and the hope to see it shine more is still the same. That's very cool. So who is now the person we bother on Twitter and social media uh, um, with <laughs> feature requests and all and all that good stuff? Great question. <laughs> they are hiding because they don't exist. It's still me. <laughs> oh, yeah, my goodness. Oh, you are carrying that on your back as well. Wow. Do we need to put a job want or help wanted ad out for you? Yes, definitely. I, I think that's definitely one of the topics we'll be talking about of how the project and the management has changed over the years, how things are changing, either be it the number of contributors, the kind of contributors, the kind of contributions that have been coming in, the partnerships that I'd like to form moving forward. So yeah, I hope to get to that in the next hour. Yeah, I mean, we can actually, you know, start, you know, unpacking that a little bit right now before we get too deeply into preferences and things and things um we're not going so, through all the preferences are we we've <laughs> time for that the last time i was on this call like i think 20 minutes went into like a customer support thing i don't want to repeat that one <laughs> that's true we were like yeah troubleshooting and telling people how to do things okay so hopefully one of the things that we're going to see sort of LAN, right, in, in, in VS Code, if it hasn't already, is sort of the stable Go PLS, Go Please integration inside of VS Code, inside of the plugin. I know, you know I've used it in the past, and it was kind of wonky a little bit, you know, and, and with each release, I started getting you know, better and better, and, you know, basically the, the usability of it improving, and, you know, the sort of the error started to go away. Like, what is the state of that uh, now? And for those who don't know what Go Please is, could you like sort of uh, give like a brief introduction of what what that is and how it's going to make uh, Go work better inside of the VS Code plugin. Sure, yeah. So the way the Go plugin has been built right now is it makes use of various Go tools that's already existing in the ecosystem. That's how it was originally built way back in, I think, November, December of 2015 when Luke Hoban gave this a try. That's how all editors were providing Go support back then because we had this rich ecosystem of tools like GoDev, Guru, GoCode for all your needs of nav code navigation or code completion and all of those things. So the way almost every Go plugin for most of the editors were written is 
it stands in between the editor and the actual tool. So every time you form a request for, hey, give me the definition for the symbol, it fires off a request to say go def, gets the results, parses the results, and then gives it back to the editor in a way it understands. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine this is like a big mishmash of about five to six different essential tools. And then for all the other fancy features that you want, there are extra tools to fill up the gaps, like go modify tags that will help you update your struct fields, fill struct, which would you know populate it with default values. So you have all of those things, again, powered by individual tools. And that worked great for the longest of time. And when it stopped working great was recently in the past two years because of the changes that were happening in, in the Go language and the Go command itself. This has been very beautifully explained by Rebecca in this year's GoForCon talk. So if anybody who, if you've not seen it already, please, please do listen to the talk. I think it's named um, Go Please Stop Breaking My Editor. <laughs> right, something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it explains very well of how this system of Go support has been and why the language server can be the solution for most of the problems. So language server, the way it, it comes into play is it's like a single tool that can handle all of your language requests. So it's the same tool that can provide you a navigation request. The same tool can give you completions. The same tool can figure out if there's error in your code and give you diagnostics. So it's like a one single tool for all your problems. But more than that, it is also a back-end server running you know, in the background. So if you compare that to GoDef, which for every single request, it had to figure out everything from scratch, versus this thing, the process that's running in your background, it's watching your files. It knows the state of your files. So it need, does, need not do all the operations all over again to figure out where is the symbol living or what should be the completion. So all in all, language server is like the solution to most of the language support and editors. Other languages have already had this. That's how most of the VS Code support, if you think about other languages, they already have a language server. Go was a little late in the game. Once we started figuring out that we can't keep up with the changes in, in the tooling system and in the Go tool itself, there were attempts at having language servers. So Sourcegraph was the first uh, company that attempted to uh, make a language server, and that worked for a while. We provided uh, an, uh, support to hook, hook up to the Go language servers from Sourcegraph. But then as time went on, as modules came in, and that totally shifted the entire paradigm of tooling, they also noticed that they couldn't keep up. So finally, we had um, the GoTools team from Google itself uh, stepping up and saying, hey, we know we understand things are breaking. We know that you know we we can we can provide a language server. This can be a one place thing to solve most of the problems. That's how language server started over last year. Interestingly, it was in GoForCon, so not this year's GoForCon. Last year's GoForCon, I remember a group of us, either representing editors or the Go Tools team or people who care from the community, got together and like, hey, things are breaking. What do we need to do? And from that came out this small working group where we worked closely with Rebecca and Ian from the GoTools team um, in, in getting this, this language server out. It's interesting hearing about that because I think um, Sublime Text for a while is what I used with Go, and this was like a while back. And I think one of the reasons that one kind of died out is I'm pretty sure the person who created that plugin tried to make their own language server. I, there was one like named Margo, I think, but maybe that's what it is now. But basically, it ran some Go program in the background that the actual plugin communicated with, and that's how it did a lot of like figuring out with your code. 
And I think because they were using like their own thing, it became very hard for one person to maintain. And I think it sort of fell behind as a result, which was, I don't know, disappointing for me because I was a big fan of Sublime Text for the longest time. And it was what I was used to. I think that's why I liked it. So that led me to, you know, trying other stuff and eventually settling on VS Code. But, you know, it, it, it would be nice to have one universal Go please that everybody can integrate with because that really makes it, you know, so that no matter what editor you like, you can still get great support. Absolutely. That's one of the big selling points of the language server, right? You create one language server and it can now cater to multiple editors because the language server protocol itself has been stable and has been, you know, onboarded to many, many editors already. So any editor that can support that protocol can hook up to Go Please and give you the exact support that you would see in, say, VS Code or um, any other editor. So then at the end of the day, you won't be judging an editor or choosing an editor for the particular language support it provides, but more for the inherent um, other features that the editor itself, the language agnostic things that the editor provides. Because that would be a world I would love to be in because you know, completions, if you get completions in a way in one editor, that should be the exact same thing you should get in the other editor. Everybody need not go and, and keep reinventing the wheel all over again. It's like a weird transition to see that because I remember like when I first started working professionally, everybody had like their preferred editor and like there were editors specific for whatever language you were using. Like that was the norm at the time it felt like. And we've drifted, there were people who still use things like Vim and Emacs. Like I think that always existed, but there were a lot of people who used like Eclipse and things like that for Java. And you kind of had this like you picked one and you learned it and you got so ingrained with it that like it was hard to switch at that point. So it's cool that we're getting to a point that that's not the case. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, what I'm taking away from having sort of that common layer right underneath all these um, editors is that basically there's the undifferentiated heavy lifting, to use terminology from AWS, is basically the plumbing, the infrastructure is there, right? And then it basically it, the editors can just build on top of that, right? So you're going to get the same sort of a autocomplete features, for example, um, you know, across editors because that responsibility is sort of being delegated to the you know running server underneath. Things like what keyboard shortcuts do you use to trigger certain actions and, you know, how does your editor, what does it look like, right? How do you theme it? How do you, all these other extra things that some might consider important, some might consider frivolous, doesn't matter, right? Right. These things are left to the implementers of those editors, right? To the creators of those, those editors, be they, you know, VS Code or, or, or JetBrains flavored tools or whatever, whatever, you know, you prefer. But that underlying sort of, uh, this is what the language exposes, right? Uh, this is what the language does, right? And that's ridiculous across editors. That's the stuff that sort of uh, drops down to the language server. I guess, so what I meant was, I agree with you there, that every editor is going to have some differences. Um, I think that's part of the reason, like, part of why I don't use Goland is not because it's not a good editor. It's because some of the assumptions about your workflow and things like that that they make aren't ones that go well with my workflow. So mm -hmm. it's not that it's bad. It's that, like, some of the things outside of Go support just aren't what I prefer. Mm -hmm. um, but for a while, I felt like whatever language you went with, you had to go find an editor for that language, like one that supported it well. So, like, that was more important than half of the other stuff. So you kind of got mm -hmm. stuck, like, learning some new... Eco, you know, some new setup for the editor. Whereas like now we're getting to the point where, you know, if you're a Vim user, you can pretty much count on most languages having a language server and you can switch between languages pretty easily because that's there. But if it mm -hmm. wasn't, then that becomes much more challenging. 
and I believe that is still the case for certain languages, right? Because like I have heard from people say who've been using C sharp forever that you know no they'd much rather stick to Visual Studio than uh, go to VS Code because they still find a big gap. Now that can be attributed to maybe two different things. One, you're used to a particular way of doing things. Now just because a lightweight editor gives you, you have to relearn a lot of things. Like and it's not related to the language, but just workflow, just like what we just talked about. So workflows would definitely be tied to the editors. And if it just comes to the language support, then, you know, language servers can step in and and remove that gap for you. The, The way I tell it to certain people is like, if you think of what you're seeing in your editor and if you divide it into data versus behavior, right? Behaviors and interactions are your editors, like what comes directly out of your editors. Data can come from the language server. So it's the data part we would like to reach a world where all editors give you the same set of completions, take you to the same file when you do F12 to try to go to navigation. And how they do it, how fast they are, or what keyboard shortcuts comes out of the box by default, how it looks like, how does the peak window look like, all that is interactions, behaviors, UI. That goes into the editor land, and that's where different editors can do things differently, and you judge editors based on that. Yeah, I can definitely see, like you said about people not wanting to switch with C-sharp. I had an exchange with somebody on Twitter the one time where we were basically just coming up with ideas of this is something I might do with Vim or Emacs or something. And and they'd be like, this is the problem I'm solving. Here's how I do it in Vim. How would you do this in VS Code or something else? And it was funny looking at some of these examples because I think it really changed. Like you can either present a problem and if you get too specific, like this is exactly what I want to do, then yeah, one might shine better than the other. But if you just say like, this is the general problem I'm solving. Like I have this text and I need to like change the case of all these certain words or something. Then what I found was that in Vim, a lot of times they think in, sorry, I guess I'm quiet. But in Vim, a lot of times people think in like macros. So they like record themselves doing the action once and then they reapply those macros. But in VS Code, a lot of the times, at least a lot of the developers I use who I'd consider like power developers, they think in like multi-select. So they like select everything they want to edit and then they just do it all at once. So they're not applying a macro or recording one because they're just doing it to everything at once. So it's it's interesting seeing how those flows differentiate. And like if you tried to get somebody to switch from one to the other, it's a complete change in how you think about the problem and you know tackling it. So it, it'd be very hard to even compare like is one better than the other? It's more just which, you know, which process are you better with? This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Guess what? DigitalOcean recently added MySQL and Redis to their list of managed databases. Their full managed databases lineup now includes the three most popular databases out there for developers, Postgres, MySQL, and Redis. It'll eliminate the complexity involved in managing, scaling, and securing your database infrastructure, and instead, get back to focusing on building value for your users. Learn more and get started for free with a $50 credit at do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. I find it incredibly hard to, I think you touched on this, like to switch to different editors, but 
I think <laughs> some of the reasons why I've switched editors, sometimes I feel like it has included, it has um, peer pressure has been uh, part of, <laughs> of that process. <laughs> of all the reasons, <laughs> like, <laughs> I wouldn't have imagined peer pressure to be the reason to switch editors, Johnny, honestly. No, I mean, seriously, like, you know, like when I remember when VS Code was, was coming out and I noticed that, you know, back then I was a Sublime user as well. And, and you know, I think I even tried Atom for, for a little bit. And, you know, those editors had their problems, but, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know what, I don't want to switch. And before that, I was I was all Vim all the time. I'm still, you know, Vim, just not all the time. But anyways, the switching, to me, there's a switching cost, right? But what tipped me over the edge, I'd always go to the website, look at the list of features, you know, I'm like, I'm sticking with my editor. Like, you know, what, this that has, ooh, that, that's kind of nice, though. You know, like, like you know, like I'm, I'm like, I'm pining over, like, the, you know, these, these other features. I'm like, oh, that would be nice to be able to do. And then I go search, you know, within the plugin, you know, directory for my editor. I'm like, can I do that? Is there, is there something for, for me to do that on my ed- editor and whatnot? But I think a, a huge part of it, and, and maybe some developers out there will also sort of uh, agree to that as well. You know, a lot of it is, okay, what are all the, my, my team members, or what are they using or, you know, folks that are out there sort of talking about the, what stuff they use, you know, what do they use, right? So you, you kind of want to feel like you belong a little bit, right? So, you know, I think we shouldn't underestimate the impact that peer pressure has on which editor you end up using. It's... Is it peer pressure, though? Sorry, I'll let Matt talk in a second. But I I say that in the sense that, yes, there's the, like, you might do it because somebody else is doing it, but it's also beneficial to be able to walk over and ask somebody on your team, like, how Mm -hmm. do I do this? And if you're the only Vim user on your team and you're just learning it, you're probably going to have a rough time. Yeah, it could work the other way as well, where a Vim user might say, how can I get it so that when I press a key, it comes in the... It goes into the file. That's what I really, w- I really would love it. If, how do I get that? And then, of course, you see, oh, VS Code has that feature, so I might switch over. Yeah, <laughs> I use VS Code actually. Um, Ramya, I guess yeah, I've said this before. Thank you very much for all the work that's been done on it. Uh, but genuinely, I mean, and every time there are updates that have noticeable improvements, it it's such a great it's such a great feeling, and that's multiplied to mm-hmm. everyone using it. So, I get really excited when it's time to update it. Back in when I was in the VS Code team, like one of the things after every release, like we collect like feedback either like via emails or Twitters, and we see like the top things. And it's it always makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside when we see appreciation for the release notes and all the new features that's coming out. And for a lot of people, it's like just pure joy just reading the release notes every month when it comes out. They're like, oh, shiny feature. Oh, I have to try that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it sorry that it just reminded me of that. Yeah. So here's the thing, though. If I'm being honest, I've sort of started lagging on reading the release notes because I found out I just can't keep up with the features anymore. <laughs> like, literally, there's, there are so many things you can do now that I'm like, okay, like I'm going to settle on like the 12 keyboard shortcuts that I really use like every day, you know, and try to master those because to me, that's just simply just way too much going on. Like, yeah, It's all good. And some people are going to find different things, you know, more useful than others. But I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, like these are the things I use regularly on a daily basis. As long as the new stuff doesn't break, you know, the things I use, then I'm good. Could do with like a workshop or something like a GopherCon, you could imagine, uh, of just... Mm. And they could do it for different editors, but like, yeah, here's, here's VS Code, get, you know, do the proper research, figure out those features mm-hmm. and show them off. Because it's, tr- I'm the same, I, there's, it does a lot more than I even, uh, I actually asked on Twitter what people's favorite plugins were, and there's some amazing ones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everything from sort of rainbow brackets, 
which is, you know, when the brackets line up color wise. Mm -hmm. Get that one. Get that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one is fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. that's it. Why I asked that. I, I, there's a few others too. They're brilliant. And I love the fact that you can, any of us can extend this as well. Like we can contribute too if there's something specific. Sometimes like you might need something just for your team. It's not worth sharing, but often I bet the if you solve a problem for yourself, you need other people to do it. Do you have to um, do it in JavaScript though, if you want to write a, an extension for VS Code? Yes, an extension for VS Code has to be in JavaScript because that's how it can talk to uh, VS Code. Hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, you can't get around that, but hmm. JavaScript's pretty easy and most of our getting started guides especially around extension authoring we we spent quite some time last year in improving the docs especially around how to extend vs code so we have a whole lot of samples targeting different parts of the editor on how would you extend that how would you extend the file explorer how would you add a new view on the left side you know the activity bar how would you add a status bar item down below how would you do this how do you do that so there are like tons of examples already out there so if you're someone who's thinking of trying to extend VS Code and might feel that, oh, but I don't know JavaScript, there's a lot of starting points you can jump off of. There's a lot of scaffolding already involved. So we hope that the, the time we spent last year pine from the team definitely lowers the barrier into getting an extension for VS Code. I can say from personal experience that it definitely has. <laughs> like just from what I've seen, because I know there was a time period where I felt like you had to be a full-time extension developer or something to figure out some like to do something more complicated <laughs> yeah and it's like gotten to the point where you can actually find an example that is close enough to what you want to do that you can get yourself you know you can start moving in the right direction and actually making progress and you aren't feeling like oh i have to learn this whole thing all over from the ground up yep. and it's it's at that point which or at least the last i checked it seemed for the things i wanted to do it was which was really cool yeah, and even if you are like not, uh, if you don't want to spend too much time on JavaScript, you can always like write things in your own language and shell it out, right? Like exactly how the Go extension does. Like it, it creates a new child process, calls Go Dev, and gets back the results, passes it, and gives it back to VS Code. So you can also choose to keep your JavaScript middle person very light and do all your heavy lifting. Maybe if you want to do it in Go or, or any other language that can provide you, you know, a command line. Um, tool so you can just shell it out that's a nice idea that's probably what i'd do if i was going to build it <laughs> yeah and i like javascript I, I just want to say i like javascript everyone's sort of it's common in go community to poke fun at it but i don't i like it see my the only thing i dislike about javascript is i don't like writing javascript the way that i probably should i write javascript more like i write go code hmm so okay. as long as you're okay with that, I like JavaScript. Hey, as long fine. as your extension works, I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> yeah. If you're, but John, if you write it in a Go style, then it's going to be, you'll be using a subset probably of JavaScript, I suppose. Oh yeah. Like I, I don't use the like arrow functions and stuff like that nearly as much as like other people do, but I think it's just because it's not what I'm familiar with. I haven't, you know, messed with it enough to really get comfortable with all those. So earlier, Johnny had said that there's like 12 shortcuts that he uses in the editor. And I'm, I'm kind of curious if that rings true for you two as well, because I feel like that's... Most people, when I talk with them or watch them actually use their editor, there's all these crazy things the editor can do, and then they use seven of them frequently. The rest, like that, <laughs> that covers 90% of their use case. And I think that's normal, because yeah. you're probably not doing weird things all the time. 
So do you two think you fall into that category? When I started in the VS Code team, I used to see everybody around me use all the fancy shortcuts and I just couldn't bring myself to, you know, learn them because like historically I've never been a keyboard heavy person. Like I didn't mind using my mouse. I didn't mind being like, you know, losing out on whatever the 10%, 20% speed that, you know, you would get by not removing your hand like and moving it two inches. Um, but uh, over time, um, I, I did... Uh, familiarize myself with certain shortcuts and and they've remained with me but like since I've changed teams and I now see other people trying to do things and when I tell them hey you know you there's the shortcut right and it just blows their mind they're like I didn't know we could do this so if I had to share like first I would share those like symbol search in the file in the current file that you're on Control shift o gives you just a drop down of all the methods and you know variables in your file I think is com- is that command r on mac no it's it's command shift o cuz i command r does something similar where like if you're in a go file it'll show you all the types and stuff you've declared i don't have that in although that's <laughs> it's very possible that i've changed the key binding at this point so right. So John, so people, I'm sorry. Listeners of this podcast are also going to need your your settings file in the show notes. Then please. <laughs> well, here's the thing: I actually have videos of me setting everything up, and I have exports of all my settings files, so I can actually give that to people. Ah, that sounds right. riveting. I'd love to see that. I'd love to watch that. Yeah, yeah. So I do use Control Shift O very often, well, just to like navigate to another uh, method on a very large file. And if you want to do this across file, you have Control T. So that's like your entire project if you want to do a symbol search. Now, based on the language you're using, that might be slow. Just a fair warning. Other than that, I have found Zen mode to be interesting, especially when you're presenting. You, If you don't want all the clutter showing up on your presentation, so you could always go to Zen mode. Control B, it was hilarious when the other day I told someone, you know, you can use Control B to just hide that thing because once you're sharing and then you zoom in because, you know, people who are remote can't see the very small font and then suddenly you're left with a very big side explorer and there's just half of your screen is actual text. So Control B hides um, that thing for you. It's Command B for me and it's whatever John's mapped it to for him. (laughs) Uh, Are you talking about the entire sidebar or? Yes. I think the very far left little skinny one is command B for me. And then command KB is like the text files part. Okay, nobody should listen to John. (laughs) If if you install like the sublime text key bindings, you'll probably get something similar to mine. um, Because that's what it was there. And that's Ah, ported a lot of stuff over. Similar similar will do. <laughs> yeah, that is that is an interesting point like to keep in mind. Like I think I talked about this in the last time I was here. There are extensions just for key bindings, especially if you're migrating from another editor. We really really wanted to make sure that, you know, people coming from other editors feel at home and, you know, the keyboard shortcuts they that they were so familiar with all over the years that they didn't have to relearn those things. So we published extensions with uh, with the updated key bindings that would match whatever you were using before. I mean, not whatever exactly you were using before, but typically <laughs> in those editors. It'd be impossible so. to know what John was using, for example. So yeah. Yeah, maybe we need an extension called John's key bindings or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, and then I think in the last um, control backtick uh, to toggle your terminal. Mm is also pretty helpful because I think most of us do go to the terminal on and off for like whatever 
reasons we want to. And I think control, control backtick is something that I use often uh, to just slip into the terminal and start working in there. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I have, a, I have a weird question. So has anybody ever put the terminal, right, in VS Code full screen and used Vim? Oh, is, it, is that just just me? <laughs> is, is that your confession? <laughs> yeah, it sounded like a confession, didn't it? Yeah, wow. I've done that. It, it was it wasn't like a bad experience at all. Like I mean, it was it felt wasteful, but and you could fit in with all these peers giving you this pressure to switch. <laughs> I know. Like, oh, I'm right? using it. Look, I'm using it. <laughs> I've got Johnny here doing Vim inside of the terminal, and I'm trying to get rid of my terminal altogether inside of VS Code. Oh, I, the problem is so I'm so used to I use iTerm too. And I have like a global key binding, so like no matter what space I'm on on my computer, I can just press the binding and my terminal pops up on my screen. So I've gotten so used to that at this point that it's nearly impossible to break that muscle memory and stop using it. And it's just set up with everything I want that I don't have to mess around with it at this point. So it's it I could probably learn to like the one in VS Code, but it's like one of those, it's probably not worth the effort to learn it. So like one of the shortcuts I know is like, I think Command Shift and U will show like, it shows one of those windows down at the bottom, but I know if you press it twice, it'll make that whole window disappear. Because when it pops up randomly and I don't want it, I have to like press it twice to get rid of it real quick. Yeah. So it's it just kind of just weird bindings like that are ones that I've picked up over time. This is what happens. People end up being really superstitious. Like, that's a superstition, John. Pressing, <laughs> what was it? Command something U twice? <laughs> You could so okay. Go open no, up VS Code. I did it. it works. Command Shift U brings up output. Yes. If you press it again, it gets rid of it. So like, mm -hmm. if the console pops up for some reason, mm -hmm. if you press that once, it'll switch to that tab, and if you press it a second time, it gets rid of that whole box. Yeah. Behaves as a, I think, a focus plus toggle. So if it's not already in focus, it gets you to focus, and then once you're in focus, it kind of toggles. So it was one of those ones where like I didn't want to learn the key binding for every single tab, I just needed to get rid of it sometimes. And that's just kind of... Because like even um, Ramya talks about Zen mode, and it's interesting to me that I never use Zen mode. Like I basically just get rid of my, you know, my left sidebars with key bindings, and then I use different stuff with my... Like I basically have like a, a window manager, you know, tiling or whatever, and I'll move things around based on what I'm doing. So what I use more often than that is I'll actually like Command-Shift-N to... That basically gets you a brand new VS Code window. So, like, instead of a new tab, it'll get you a whole new window, and then I'll throw that wherever I want it. And then, like, there's some other key bindings that I tend to use that a lot of people probably don't, and this is where, like, the context of what you do matters a lot. So since I record stuff or, like, show people what I'm coding a lot, um, command plus and minus, and then I have, like, command shift plus and minus, one will just change the text size in my editor, and then the other one, I think it's through an extension, will actually change it so it changes, like, the sidebars and, like, all the tab menus and stuff like that. But I think by default, all of that zooms with command plus and minus, and you have to use like an extension to change it. But I found that for me, that worked way better. And that was one of the things that I tried Goland for a while, and there wasn't an easy way to change the font size, which was kind of rough, because when you're recording a video and teaching something, you want like a big font so it's easy to watch no matter what, you know, if they're in standard def or something. But then when you go try to code, you don't want like size 24 font up on your screen while you're coding regularly. It's just unbearable sometimes. So it was just... Little things like that were kind of, you know, they're, they're interesting to see. Yeah, I've got one. Can I do my ones? So have you, you <laughs> all know about copy and paste, right? Because <laughs> it's brilliant. 
Um, the other one, though, the real one, control and minus, where you navigate through the history of where you've been. So if you go, if you're clicking around trying to debug something and you're going through different files and you're going through all sorts of rabbit holes, when you then want to go back to where you've been previously, you can do control and then just heat, you know, every time you hit minus, it jumps back to the last sort of history position or whatever. I find that to be extremely useful. That is neat. I usually just search for, yeah. for a word for where I was. Yeah, that's a good one. So I know one that's Go specific that I absolutely love is go to definition, which for me is command option down. I think that's the same for everybody. If but, you had Vim bindings, that just that's just GD. Okay. Well, one of the I'm reasons I saying. love that one, and this is like, <laughs> it depends on the language you're in, but in Go, I love it because everything's documented in source code. Hmm. So it's a an instant way to jump to documentation, which is like absolutely fantastic when you're coding. And then the second thing I love about it is if you ever want to build an interface you just jump straight to the function definition of whatever you want to build an interface around and you just copy it real quick and then you you know quickly can build your interface and you don't have to worry about like what are these arguments named you can actually like copy them exactly so it just makes that type of thing much easier in go yeah that's great I have a feeling we're going to confuse all the listeners with all the key bindings, <laughs> especially because so, each each person here has their own extension. Not me. I'm using a default one. Me too. <laughs> so that's why I tried to go with go to definition. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, and I like the when you hover over symbols as well. Uh, you get the little pop up of documentation, which I do anyway. <laughs> Um, any of that stuff's quite helpful. It's interesting, uh, Ramya. You were talking about like the language server having a consistent API. Does that mean that all the languages are similar enough that you can you can actually represent it in this abstract way? They are right. Like it's it's not about whether the languages are similar enough. It's what one would expect out of a language when working in an editor. So hmm. any any language user would want to go to a definition of a symbol the go-to definition that John just talked about. Mm. Any language person would want to hover on a symbol and try to get more information on that symbol, whether it is what's the signature or what the documentation on it. Anybody who is typing would like to get some kind of completions based on what they're typing and where that word is in the file. So, so on and so forth, there's this whole range of language support features which are applicable to all languages which is why we were able to come up with the API, which we call the language server protocol, which has hooks for almost all of such requests and all of such features. So we could provide a link in the notes later, but if you look at the protocol, you will see there are like a lot. You wouldn't think that there are so many hooks that you could play with, but there are a lot of things um, which are applicable across languages. Now, there might be some languages for which like something might not be applicable, then just skip it. Mm. Um, but any language, uh, we should be, be able to be in a state to have a language server that can provide those features for you. Like exactly, go to definition, hover, completion, applies to all languages. Why shouldn't they? I mean, even another one I can think of is the, like, viewing where something has been used. Like, I think the references. Yes. I don't remember what the shortcut is. But, you know, right. seeing that type of thing, like, where has this class been used? Or, you know, where is it referenced is yep. pretty much I've, universal across the language. Yeah, finding references or even, like, given an interface, what implements this interface? Not just where is it referenced, but what implements this interface? The symbol search that I talked about, you know, like, every file, every language has a particular shape defined to it. There are functions. There are 
classes, there are interfaces. So everybody has a way of defining them and the editor gives you a way to show them in a structured format. Whether they, you call them interface or something else, it's up to the language. But the fact that there is a structure and you'd like to see the structure is common for regardless of what language you're using. Yeah, it makes sense. I love also just some of the uh, language features. Well, some of the features in uh, VS Code um, that surprise people when they're new to programming or they're not programmers and they sort of sometimes people look over your shoulder and they're like, oh, what do you do? And then they're like, oh, yeah, that's that's awful. I'm going to go. But before that, what they see are things like um, command D for me, which is that select where you select all of the occurrences of a particular piece of text throughout a file. That for me is extremely useful. And there's a variant that selects all within the file as well. That as a trick for just quickly selecting a load of things that you want to do some work on at the same time. I find that to be very useful. I thought it was going to be one of those features that just, it looks cool. It's a bit of a gimmick, but practically it's not very useful, but it turns out to be very useful, but it does blow people away when they see it. it, it make, for some reason, they think you're smarter because you can like, you're doing more programming <laughs> at the same time. Yes. You know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and command D uh, reminds me of, um, I've used it in a slightly, I've extended that. I mean, not I've extended is a wrong word to use when there are extensions being talked about. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so what I've done is um, in, in big log files, when I want to get rid of noise and when I know that the noise is in certain lines having certain words, then I've used command D or change all occurrences to select them. And then there's another command that can take you to the end of the line. There's a command that tells, you know, just move the cursor to the end of the line. Mm. And then I could do shift and home or whatever is in, based on whether you're Windows or Mac and then just select the entire line and just backspace. It's gone. Mm. Yeah. Right. Of course, there are other ways to do it. You could use regular expressions and, and things. But somehow for my lizard brain, that's the easiest for me to just get rid of those lines. There's a lot of cool things you can do with that. Like if you bundle that with like extensions, like mm -hmm. you can get an extension that will change case. Yep. And then you can all of a sudden take you know, your, your Go fields and turn them into JSON struct tags really easily mm. and do things like that where you're just changing it to snake case or something. Because um, for the longest time, I didn't even know about like some of the ways you can, like I know there's built-in features to make struct tags for you, mm -hmm. but I didn't know about them because I was so used to using multi-select that it yeah. didn't slow me down enough to actually go learn that other thing. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely recommend trying out the uh, add tags, remove tags command. They are powered by the tool Go Modify Tags by Fateh. And uh, they're pretty neat. And you could change the settings so that if you prefer camel case versus snake case versus anything, just change the setting for that. And you could go to town with that command. I have a feeling my next question is is might take us off you know, this, this path of so, shortcuts. <laughs> oh, I thought you, I thought you <laughs> sure. said Let me, let me say one thing then. <laughs> I, I will say, Matt, you were saying that it seemed like a gimmick, the multi-select. Yeah. And I will definitely say that you know it's not a gimmick when you're like, I can tell you in Chrome that Command D is the bookmark shortcut. <laughs> not because I ever want to bookmark anything. <laughs> it's because I want to multi-select and it doesn't work. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, uh, funny enough, I think I ran across a Chrome extension which used Vim bindings to navigate Chrome. I tried it. It was, I'm okay, I'm, uh, that's a bit much. Like, you'd have to be a really huge fan of, of, of Vim to be navigating the web with it. This episode is brought to you by GoCD, 
With native integrations for Kubernetes and a Helm chart to quickly get started, GoCD is an easy choice for cloud native teams. With GoCD running on Kubernetes, you define your build workflow and let GoCD provision and scale build infrastructure on the fly for you. GoCD installs as a Kubernetes native application, which allows for ease of operations, easily upgrade and maintain GoCD using Helm, scale your build infrastructure elastically with a new elastic agent that uses Kubernetes conventions to dynamically scale GoCD agents. GoCD also has first-class integration with Docker registries, easily compose, track, and visualize deployments on Kubernetes. Learn more and get started at gocd.org Kubernetes. Again, gocd.org Kubernetes. So for the longest time, I basically would tell myself that, okay, you are not a true, like, you know, to use poor terminology from the recruiting industry, ninja or rock star developer, <laughs> blah, 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 until you can completely navigate, you know, your editor and gain mastery of it, you know, like command, you know, control keys, you know, you're just flying through, you know, the text and, and kind of like, you know, Hollywood tends to portray um, programmers and, and quote unquote hackers, right? It's just a screen just flying by, you know, 3D cube floating up in the air, that kind of nonsense. But basically, I should associate, right, like mastery of basically your your craft, your language, whatever you happen to be working on, right, with how well you're able to navigate your editor, how quick your fingers are. Is it fair to tie, right, your rise of competency as a developer to how fluidly, right, and, and you're able to sort of navigate and get things done in your editor? Before we answer that, can I ask you, you don't have the 3D City plugin for VS Code? No, I, 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 I. Whoa. <laughs> what is that? There's none, I don't think. But if somebody made one that I could fly through a 3D city to find my stuff, yeah. my definitions, and I'd be like, this is awesome. Yeah, we can definitely make that happen. That's a great idea. That's what we want for whenever Go turns up in a movie. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 3D navigable city. I mean, I would definitely say that I, I don't think you're less of a developer if you aren't like mastering your tools and memorizing shortcuts. But I think that as you use them, you will just gradually find, like like you said, there's like some six or so that you use, and you'll just use them so much that eventually they just start to stick. You don't even have to like think about it. You're just pressing those keyboard shortcuts. And I think over time that will happen, but it, it doesn't make you less of a developer or like you know junior just because you don't know a bunch of them. Because I've seen, you know, very, very smart people that just program slower, but they like can think about hard problems much better than other people. And as a result, it doesn't matter if they program slower, they're still going to get the thing done sooner because you know they're doing all the other stuff better. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that because I believe our industry and you know as software engineers and as problem solvers, there's much more to than just typing and <laughs> using an editor, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yeah. No. <laughs> um, so, yes, I don't believe it makes you any less of a developer there, and, and I totally agree with everything that John said. Um, but I would like to also compare this with another analogy, which is um, like, which is personal to me because it, I, I have seen it apply to me. So remember back when you were using either computers or typewriters for the first time and you had to always look at the keyboard to be able to type, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And then you eventually are 
some of us <laughs> are eventually reaching a stage where we don't have to look down at the keyboard to type. Now, it, this is a very like a simple thing, but it does give you speed in some shape or way. And then it does take away some of the cognitive efforts you have to put in to see which finger if, if is typing which letter, right? So I would say knowing keyboard shortcuts or all of these fancy things might give you a small edge. There's no doubt about it. But if you don't have it, it's absolutely fine as well. Yeah, the only uh, exception I would say to that is if you don't know how to save a file, you are going to struggle. Uh, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Hey, so that's, why we have, hey that's why we have autosave, right? <laughs> oh, you don't even need to, brilliant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I would compare that to that. Like, If, if you feel like um, typing without looking at the keyboard gives you an advantage, then maybe knowing some shortcuts will give you some advantage as well. Yeah, I remember being intimidated in the past when I saw somebody, and I think it was Vim or one of these, because I was a VB, I started kind of uh, basic and VB, and I remember ASP.net and things. And I used to use Notepad to do ASP, because it was, I was learning it before the, uh, before the tooling was ready. So the only way you could do it uh, that I knew of was Notepad. I'm not sure if, that sh- if I should pity you or be impressed by that. <laughs> pity. <laughs> pity. <laughs> um so so and then i saw somebody using vim and they were just doing all kinds of stuff uh that I, was just mind-blowing and very intimidating and it did feel like okay so i'm uh, i'm using notepad here i've got eight space i can't even get it's eight spaces every time i press tab do you know what i mean and it's like oh that's too far it's <laughs> miles away why are you going over there but um but yeah so uh, so yes anyone that that feels that yeah i, I encourage you don't worry about that at all cuz like you like rama said there's it's a lot more to it than just typing yes <laughs> i mean there are definitely some things that come with it but that's definitely cuz i i did java in like kedit which is like notepad on linux and anybody who's done java knows that you import a lot of stuff and i basically had to import everything that i needed at the start so i just had like a blanket list of this is what i import and this was for you know, small programs. It was in school. It didn't matter that much. But it was still one of those things that over time you learn better ways to do this stuff. But it, you still can learn so much and become such, a, you know, improve as a developer so much without actually needing all that. So should we move on from keyboard shortcuts? Yeah, yes. I thought we're, I thought we're, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, let's just do that. Okay, fine. fine Am I allowed fine, to yeah, bring fine. up a controversial subject? <laughs> Contro- uh, sure, you've got like five It's minutes. not the Middle East again, All is right. it, John? No. Okay. <laughs> Good, because it's right. really so, not the right podcast for that. So, <laughs> syntax highlighting and colors. What are your opinions on those? And I only say that might be controversial here because I think Rob Pike is like known for not caring for colors. And I, I don't mean to poke fun at that. I mean, everybody has their own preference. But for me, at least, I find colors really useful in certain specific situations. Like having the keyword funk or some of those color-coded usually doesn't make a difference to me. But one of the ones that really stands out is if I have a string and all of a sudden part of the string changes color, I'm like, I did something wrong to, like I didn't escape a quotation mm. mark or something. So it's a very clear indicator of my code is wrong and that like removes that cognitive load of thinking about, am I doing this right? So... I'm curious, like, if there's other cases like that that you guys can think of where if you care for color, you know, syntax highlighting and colors and stuff like that. Honestly, I never thought about it. It's like what whatever the default set of colors are there, I mean, they're good. I, I, I don't think I ever gave a thought to should I go to black and white? Well, Rob Pike also doesn't use a fixed width font as well. 
He uses uh, just any font he wants, like, you know, I assume a, a good font, not like Comic Sans. Not Comic no, Sans. Not, not like I doubt it. <laughs> I'd be impressed if he's written Go in Comic Sans. <laughs> Maybe it depends on the program he's writing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. He's like, this is going to be a fun one. We need a good fun. <laughs> yeah. But, and I suppose like, yeah, if, if methods are a different color to functions and, and things like that, you could, you could get some other clues. The strings one is a, is a great example, John, because you're right. If you, if you accidentally escape something or, you, or you're trying to escape it and it's not changing, you, it is a clue and that feedback's dead useful. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I, it's just what looks good for me. <laughs> I just want my eyes to be happy while I've got to work. So I, I've gone back and forth, but, but mostly have stayed with the color stuff. But I'm, I mean, honestly, it, it's really what value you get out of it. And I think, you know, John's has basically John has a pretty good reason for liking them. And for me, I, I'm at the point where I don't know, maybe that's that's age. I've been looking at code for a long time and. If they're there, it's great. They, you know, by default, I'm okay with them. But if they're not there, I think I still I can still I'm still able to navigate the code and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it, it doesn't say anything about you as a developer if you like them or not. I would say, but uh, but I do want to do though before before we start to wrap up the show is is to kind of get an idea from Ramya since she's still pretty much you know in, in charge of sort of the direction of Go support inside of VS Code. Sort of what's what's next? Are, are you just looking for sort sort of stability at this point, or are you still thinking that the there, there's some significant things that could be added to make the ex developer experience better. Like, what, what's, what are you thinking about? What's next? I think before modules came into the picture, um, if somebody had asked me what's next, my answer was always the debugging support, right? So over the last year, we've, we've been chipping apart, like adding small improvements here and there. Lots of things have improved in the last year for debugging. Um, my this year's lightning talk was uh, in GoForCon was exactly about that. But generally, that is one area where, as the extension, I, I would like to put more thought on. And then, of course, modules came in and the language server came in. And Rebecca and Ian's team is doing a great job on you know improving those and making it work really well. So for me, these two would be the two parts to focus on, right? So since I personally don't do much of the language server work because, you know, it's in Go and then there's a whole team behind it and they know it better than me, I focus more on what I can help to improve the debugging side of things. There are a couple of partners who are interested in that area, so I work more closely with them. And then I do whatever I can to help Rebecca to get the language server support in. But most of the time, I think it is in looking at incoming issues and feature requests and knowing what makes sense for the extension and what can live as a separate extension, right? Initially, in my first year, I would pick up anything that can be done, I would do it. I mean, it, it's programming. You could figure out a way to hack things in and get things done, right? But <laughs> over time, I also learned, like, maybe... It, this can live in a separate extension and it need not be bundled in this, right? So yeah, so at, at the moment, it's more about do whatever needs to be done to help the language server gain traction and, you know, um, help people get onboarded to that, help people report issues so that it can be fixed because that is going to be the future. And on the other hand, um, see what can be done on the debugging side of things to um, help out debugging. Super. 
so if somebody wanted to help, right, perhaps with those initiatives or, or others, what the best way is to check out the GitHub repository where all the action happens? Or is there a better way? Or is that still sort of the primary? Uh... Yes, GitHub repo is, is the place to go. So from the language server perspective, I would say um, everybody, please do give it a try. Say if that doesn't work out for any reason for your like day-to-day work or your large projects, maybe if you can like spend some time of the week or day just trying it out every now and then because it's an easy setting to turn it on and off, right? So it's not like you're signing away your life to using the language server. So give it a try and report. Report issues. Report what's working, what's not working, right? Because that is how f- feedback is the way we can improve things. Especially this GoForCon, I met so many people who came up to me and said, we love VS Code, but in the last year, things have not been that great. Things are breaking because of, you know, of course, we understand. Can you let us know when it'll get back to the way it used to be, (laughs) right? So getting back to the way it used to be is by helping the language server become better. And you can do that by trying it out. If Even if you don't want to do it like five days a week, like try it out like one day a week report issues and together we can make that better and that will take us back to the lovely place vs code used to be for go developers and then we can focus on other things like debugging or snippets or even vs code itself like uh, the one thing i mentioned last time was vs code itself is going so fast we talked about it release notes right every single month so many new things coming out part of those new things are also new APIs for language extensions to use and onboard. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. once we get off of this basic language support that we are working on with the language server, we can start looking into those fancy things like uh, code actions and refactorings, how best to uh, hook into those uh, hooks uh, that VS Code provides, right? So we we can focus on that once we get out of the the basic language server issues. So there's a lot to do. But I think the more immediate step is uh, driving more usage to the language server and reporting issues. How do we turn on? How do we turn on Go Please then if we use VS Code today, if for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah, I'll tell you how, but just in case, if you forget. <laughs> uh, the, the re- <laughs> Go on Google. The no, oh. no. <laughs> the readme on the, on the extension, either on VS Code uh, Go repo or even in your extensions. So in your extensions view, when you click on the extension, it shows you the readme. So that talks about how do you turn it on, why should you turn it on, and all those details. So if you ever want to go back, it has more details. But in a single line, uh, there's a setting called Use Language Server. It's a basic true or false setting. So turning it true or false would, of course, turn the language server on and off. Is that the same for you, John, or have you switched yours around to false and true? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I prefer on and off. They're strings. Yeah. Shade, the shade. (laughs) Yeah. So um, it will prompt you to reload because once the extension is activated, it either chooses to use the language server or not. When you make that decision to switch it, it'll ask you to reload the window. But that's how you opt in and opt out. There are other settings that can help you diagnose things better. Everything is recorded in the readme. We also have a wiki on the repo. So that has a little more interesting facts if you want to try it out. So I would say, yeah, uh, that would be the next thing. If anybody wants to help out, try out the language server and um, tell us how it goes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ramya, for uh, coming on the show again. It's always a pleasure to have you. And uh, my thanks to my co-hosts, John Calhoun and Matt Ryer. Hopefully we, we sufficiently covered 
all of John's keyboard shortcuts or <laughs> short shortcomings, whatever they may be. <laughs> I worry we have to change the title of this this uh, episode to just shortcuts. <laughs> It'll be like shortcuts, and then something about what Ramya had to say. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, all right, listeners, thank you so much for uh, for listening to the show, and uh, we invite you to come back for our next episode. With that, we bid you goodbye. All right, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Go Time. If you're not yet, hang with us and go for Slack. We have a channel called Go Time FM. Look it up, you'll find us. Hang with us during the live shows, connect with other members of the community, share stories, share code, share coffee recipes, whatever. It's a lot of fun. Also, we have discussions at changelaw.com on every episode. Head to changelaw.com slash go time, find this episode and discuss it with the community. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, Rollbar, for helping us move fast and fix things, and Linode for hosting the Changelaw platform. Our music is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you want to hear more awesome podcasts like this, subscribe to our master feed. It's one feed to rule them all, plus some extras that only hit the master feed. Head to changelaw.com slash master or search for changelaw master in your podcast client you'll find us thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week